We are excited to be joined by pastor, author, and president of Unlimited Grace Media, Brian Chapel. Thanks so much for joining us, Brian. Thank you, David. Glad to be with you. Oh, thank you. You've just written a book called Grace at Work, and we're going to be talking about how you can best be a witness for Christ by displaying his grace whilst at work in this interview. So how did you come to write this book, Brian? Well, I had the wonderful opportunity to be uh, pastoring a church uh, where uh, a common question was, uh, how, how do we live our faith at work? And, uh, you know, I think the presumption is often that the pastor doesn't really understand real life. And, yeah. uh, and so it was a challenge to me, but also I think important for me to be able to relate to the working people of our congregation to say uh, what the Bible says does apply to your work, that Sunday is for Monday. It's not just yeah. something uh, remote from uh, your regular life, your provision for your family, your um, skills being applied as God has given them to you, uh, that uh, work is worship. And uh, worship is not separate from your work. It's it's all part of what God has designed us to be and do. So it was a challenge, but uh, how should I say this? I, I ultimately felt it was one of the better things that I was able to do in terms of thinking from the perspective of the people that I love and having them really think. Uh, church is not separate from the work that I do. Church is preparation for the work that I do, if it really is worship. Yeah. Before becoming a pastor, did you get much experience of being a Christian in a secular workplace yourself? Uh, I did, surely. So uh, maybe like a lot of people uh, younger in life before my uh, my ministry career got underway, uh, I did everything from uh, uh, washing ditches. I was a short order cook. Uh, I spent uh, a number of years actually as a radio dispatcher for a road construction company. So, yeah, I had different different avenues of that. And, of course, after uh, my university experience, I, I didn't actually plan on going into ministry, but planned on being an attorney. So uh, at least went down that path for a little while. And yeah, so, wow. yeah, so, yeah, but, uh, but you know, that, that gets remote, obviously, later in one's career. And so people people want to know, do you really understand what they're going through? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Where did the concept of work come from and why is it often so difficult? You know, I, I think in our normal, uh, just conversational way of talking about work, we often put it in the context of our occupation. And uh, a lot of what I was trying to say in the book of Grace at Work is to remind people that our work is our vocation, right? So our occupation is what occupies us. And uh, our vocation, the history of that word actually is, it's our calling. As, um, as we establish, evaluate before the Lord, what are our gifts, what are our talents, what are our interests, and how can we best apply them, not just to personal fulfillment, but to bringing glory to God. And that's why our work is our vocation, which means, of course, our occupation is included in our vocation, but our vocation also includes the way we care for our families, uh, the way that we care for ourselves, the way that we honor God wherever we are. All that is part of our vocation, and that means God has called us to it, to evaluate what he's given and then using it as best we're able to uh, bring 
glory to him. And, and even that has to be defined to fulfill his purposes. Because people might say, well, you know, I don't play a trumpet. I don't know how I'm going to play, bring glory to God. <laughs> but, but no, if you said, how can you use what God has given you to fulfill his purposes in or for your life? That is your vocation. And uh, that, that's an important difference because the, the reality is lots of us do jobs that are not fun. They, they may be repetitive, mundane, maybe even mind-numbing. But if I'm thinking, what purposes of God might I fulfill by this? Then, then that's giving me a different perspective on what I'm doing. Yeah. On a similar note, for many people, their job is just the thing that they do to, to pay the bills. But tell us how, as Christians, we can be missing the bigger picture if we treat our jobs like that, Brian. Well, that's, that's an important question. Of course, it's one that, that my people ask and I was trying to answer. You know, I think the average Christian rightly thinks about how am I supposed to take my faith into the workplace in very simple terms. Um, you know, well, I know what I'm supposed to do if I'm a Christian. I shouldn't um, lie or cheat or steal and uh, probably try to witness during the lunch break if the boss will let me. Um, now, th those are not wrong things, but it hardly touches the surface, I think, of understanding what God has called us to do. Because if, if what I'm doing is I'm, uh, you know, the words of the Apostle Paul, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, then I'm understanding that my gifts, my opportunities, the position I have in the world is where God has placed me to advance his kingdom. Now, that may sound strange if you're doing something that seems not real um, significant in the eyes of the world. I, I tell the account in the book of going to the Western United States here and uh, where uh, a lot of uh, cheese is manufactured uh, in the United States. And I went to kind of a tour of one of the cheese making uh, uh, companies, uh, a factory. And I, I watched a man on the assembly line and he stood in position for hours watching little blocks of cheese going past him. And every now and then he would adjust one so that it would properly fit in the packaging that was at the end of the conveyor belt. And I thought to myself, I am sure glad I don't have that job. <laughs> I, that, would, that seems to be so... Now, I have no idea uh, what the man's family is like, what his intellect is, what his enjoyments are. But I had to think... If he were not doing that job and not doing it well, what would be the consequence? I mean, if he is not arranging that little brick of cheese so that it properly fits in the package, then the packaging doesn't properly seal, which means that bacteria forms on the cheese, which means it becomes deadly to whatever person or family is affected down the road, which means if somebody's made sick, then the company can't function and employees uh, are, do not make their salaries and um, and of course, if people are damaged and who eat the cheese, then they can't make money for their families. And it, it, there, there's by somebody doing their job well with the end purpose in mind, not only do they find fulfillment, they understand how they are fulfilling God's purpose. And they, I know it's a little bit silly. The yeah, people where you are, do they still at Christmas time watch the, the old, old movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Do people watch that? Does that make sense? <laughs> You know, now, now this is not going to sound very spiritual at all, you know, but, you know, when 
when uh, George Bailey, you know, gets the opportunity uh, by Clarence the Angel, who's trying to earn his wings. I'm not defending the theology of this. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I mean, George Bailey gets the opportunity to see what life would have been like had he not lived. Yeah. And uh, some of what I encourage people to do who are doing things they they don't find fun or even meaningful to say, well, apply the George Bailey test. <laughs> if If you were not doing it, if you were not doing it well, what would be the consequence? So the, the man arranging cheese bricks on the conveyor belt, well, the consequence was his company could not function if he does not do his job well. And he cannot provide for his family and other families cannot be provided for. And the health of the community is affected and the income of the, well, I, I, I know it's a little bit like, you know, for want of a nail, a shoe was lost for want of a shoe, a horse was, you know, it's, it's kind of playing that game again, but it's real. And it's presuming that God knows what he's doing in this world. And he has given us gifts and opportunities to fulfill his purposes. So, um, you know, in the book, I quote the, the, the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins. And I, he, he simply says this, to lift up hands in prayer gives God glory. But a man with a dung fork in his hand or a woman with a slop pail gives him glory too. God is so great that all things give him glory if you mean that they should. Now, I, I like that. You know, if, if I mean by doing this that I'm fulfilling God's purposes for my life, then I'm bringing God glory by what I do. And, and some of that may be because I'm sacrificing for the sake of my family. I'm, I'm sacrificing my interest or joy or whatever for the sake of my community. But that theology of the cross actually brings glory to God if, if I'm actually perceiving that what I'm doing is bringing glory. So, you know, the, the woman with the slop bucket, you know, she's feeding the pigs. But if she didn't feed the pigs, the pigs die. Pigs die. Farmer doesn't live. People can't eat. Town doesn't survive. Um, if, if we mean it for God's purposes, then our work is actually worship. It's actually bringing God glory by seeing the ends for which he has created us, gifted us, and placed us in the world in which we're working. Yeah, I can imagine that's going to be really encouraging for a lot of people to hear that, Brian, so thank you. Um, some people feel that they can or even maybe should separate their work from their faith. What would you say to someone that just wants to keep their head down and view their faith as a private issue outside of work? Well, uh, Martin Luther helped us all by reminding us of the priesthood of believers, right? That that we're we're all called to represent Christ. And that, by the way, that wasn't just Martin Luther. Again, it's it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. So, what what are we perceiving? Well, just keeping my head down is not keeping me away from the Lord. <laughs> it may, it may, it may, uh, it may keep me from uh, getting involved in things of the church. I'll just apply myself to work. But the reality is, the Lord has made us for His purposes, and so as as we are fulfilling His purposes with excellence, and and you know, we can. I don't mean to be totally silly about it, but just the reality. Uh, Christ himself did some mundane work, right? So we, we typically say Jesus was a, a carpenter or a builder, but I doubt if Jesus made tables with wobbly legs. 
right? He he recognized his job at whatever at the stage of life in which he was applying those builder skills was to make good tables uh, for the support of his family, for the promotion of his integrity, uh, so that his message later would itself um, have a believability because of the integrity with which he did things. And that's part of our calling as well. So uh, we, we don't just keep our head down in the sense of what I do doesn't have any effect on my testimony or other people's lives. Uh, all, all honest work is done on holy ground. And if I believe that, then that's why I understand that doing my job well or with integrity is confirming my testimony, helping others, maintaining a company or a community, and as a consequence is God's calling on my life. Yeah, yeah, really good. We we know in the current climate, the, the world and the evil that it champions is often celebrated in the workplace, giving employees no chance then to actively participate. What advice would you have for those people that are feeling pressured to compromise? Well, um, to say you are not alone. <laughs> there, you know, I uh, quote in the book uh, some surveys of some major companies here in the United States in which people actually in management positions uh, were surveyed. And clearly uh, be between, I, I can't remember the numbers right now exactly, but something between 60 and 70% said in order to succeed in their, succeed in their job, they had to compromise on their ethics. And uh, I've been in academics a lot of years, and uh, I, I recognize those are precisely the numbers from uh, American universities. The number of students that say they have to cheat on exams in order to do well, you know, is roughly surveyed 60 to 70 percent. It's probably even higher than that. Um, but you, you, what you understand is people develop habits early on. In order to succeed, I have to compromise my ethics. And the, the result of that, the consequences for us as believers, is that our, our ethics are really the way that we show love to neighbor and confidence in God. So if I'm sacrificing my ethics, then what I'm really doing is cheating my neighbor, and what I'm really doing is damaging my witness to God. And uh, so, listen, there can be hard, hard choices we need to make. And in the book, I talk about uh, when I was actually in seminary. One of my um, very good friends uh, was uh, able to stay in seminary because his wife worked as the quality control uh, supervisor for uh, a major pharmaceutical company in the town that we were. And uh, at some point, as this quality control inspector, she discovered that a massive uh, production lot of syringes had become contaminated. And that meant the company was going to have to remake them. And uh, her boss just very readily factored what it would actually cost the company to remanufacture the syringes and said to her, you know, sign the statement anyway, that these are, these are not contaminated. Just sign the statement and we'll ship them on. And she would not do that. And so he gave her the weekend to think about it. He said, you think about it. Um, but I expect the form to be signed when you come in on Monday morning. Now, it wasn't just that she knew her job was at risk. She knew that her husband's ability to be in school, that their future ministry, that their, their future family depended on that job. And yet she was being asked to endanger other people, to sign a lie, 
to compromise her ethics uh, for the sake of her personal good and the personal good of her husband. Well, I, I would tell you that she did not sign the form, but then I would have to tell you she was also fired. I mean, she lost the job because she would not, you know, it's, it's not a, it's a fallen world in case you haven't heard David (laughs) and, and, and not everything works out with just kind of this, it's all peace and light as long as we do good things. No, she was fired for doing the right thing. Now I, I, I should complete the story by telling you that when the syringes were not delivered on time, the company that was expecting them began to investigate and found out what had happened was that she had protected them from the contaminated shipment. They hired her and she actually got a better job. Now, listen, that that kind of comes almost like a Christmas present with a pretty bow on top. And you and I know life is not always that way. But this is what I know, that a sovereign God is going to provide for us as he knows is best for our eternity. It, we may have to suffer in this life. Jesus said we take up our cross daily. The theology of the cross says we exemplify and live for him by suffering in his behalf. So I, I won't tell Christians that um, failure to compromise your ethics is always going to have a nice little story at the end of it. it. It may require suffering, but it promotes the glory of God and it promotes his purposes and ultimately, it is living as Christ calls us to that demonstrate. When people say, you mean you're willing to live for a Savior even when it costs you? Well, then you must believe in some kind of a Savior. You, you, must, you must believe something exceptional that I don't understand. And it takes us back to our work is our worship. It's also our yeah. witness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really good. A good test you write about in your book is to ask yourself, can I stamp Christ's name on this product or can I take Jesus with me on this job? Tell us more about that, Brian. Yeah, it's and again, we have to say, David, it's a it's a very complex world out there. Right. So if if my. Uh, um, if my product, you know, is is illegal drugs or pornography, you know, it's kind of easy to say, well, probably Jesus would not approve that. <laughs> but what I think, what if I am in banking and, uh, you know, the, the bank that I work for supports all kinds of industry and, uh, maybe that, which causes pollutants and maybe, maybe that, which takes advantage of people in terms of, uh, how it, uh, um, takes advantage of their credit needs or whatever. I mean, we, we have to recognize that sometimes we cannot live in a pure world but we are influencing as best we can in the place that we live. And uh, again, I quote in the book, really an account of Tim Keller, who talks about uh, a major investment manager for a firm got you know, this wonderful opportunity with his investment team to invest in something that would make their clients a lot of money. And uh, the trouble was that uh, the, the investment, while it wasn't illegal, was not something a Christian will want to be involved in. But the, the investment manager said, but my whole team will suffer. The company itself will lose clients because they recognize this is a great profit opportunity that we're not taking. And we may lose business long term by not investing. So the, the, um, the investment manager said, all right, here's what we're going to do, team. I'm not going to say we can't do this. You all think it's OK. I don't. I'm a Christian. You don't see why it's wrong. I, so listen. We're going to go with the vote of the team. We're going to do the investment. But I'm telling you, I will take no money. 
I personally will take no money off of this investment, off of this profit. Now, I think Tim is honest enough to say there are many Christians who will say, no, that's the wrong decision. You should have quit the job. Well, it's so easy to make a decision for other people when you're not the one at risk. <laughs> you know, what, what I perceived and what I think Tim was saying was, here's somebody who is trying to bring the influence of his faith as best he could. And I, I want to say that that's our requirement at time. We, it's such a complex world out there, this, uh, this multinational internet tied, you know, investment complex world that we're in, that sometimes it, you and I can't put our money in the bank without inevitably down the road investing in something we don't approve of. But we got to live. And we got to protect. Her. So what do we do? We influence as best we're able. We we make uh, conscientious investments as best we're able. And then where there are clear decisions, this is pornographic. This is pollutant. This is evil. Then we clearly do not do that. So um, I I think what I'm trying to do is help people think in godly ways about decision making, and not just say it's a black and white world. It's not. But how do we think Christianly about being an influence in the world, even where we know that may involve complex decisions? Because again, my goal is that my work becomes my worship, right? I'm trying to bring glory to God, accomplish his ends in what I'm doing in this daily work. Workplaces can become clicky and are often a, a breeding ground for gossip or inappropriate talk. What would you say to someone that works in that environment? <laughs> well, um, we know what the Bible says. It's, it's, it's not only wrong to spread gossip, it's wrong to listen to it. And um, now I recognize that, uh, by the way, ministers never gossip. We never do. So I don't have that problem. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> You know, we 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 um, we sometimes try to influence things by telling tales we should not tell, and assessing uh, other persons uh, out loud the way we should not. So we we can be just as guilty as anybody else. But I think what we'd say for people where where gossip rules in the workplace is to not participate. That that now that may cost you too, because when you don't participate, people may view you as standoffish are un unwilling to go with the crowd or not willing to be part of the team. But where it clearly is not right before the Lord, I'm not talking about things that are cloudy now. I'm talking about where it is clear. If it is, if it is gossip, we don't participate. And instead, you know, what are the things we can do? Well, we can try to uh, change the subject to something positive. We, we, we can remove ourselves from the conversation. We can try to steer the conversation in a better direction. But where, where something is wrong, God's people do not participate. And again, David, you'll know that in the book, I just described one of the hardest chapters of my pastoral life. You know, I'm a young pastor in a, a new church in a uh, deprived area of the United States financially. And one of the ways in which that community had survived is a, a printing company had come into the area and they made their money in this kind of removed, disadvantaged area by printing what nobody else would print, which meant they printed pornography. And I came as the pastor into that community assured that the company was not printing pornography anymore. Well, I was just there a few weeks and I discovered that the people had become so calloused to it that they did not perceive it 
as pornographic anymore because it wasn't as bad as it once was. And we had to go through the process. Now, listen, every church in our area had people that worked in that company. Um, Every body of elders uh, involved people who worked in that company. I had elders in my church who worked in that company. And we had to say, what are we going to do? Well, first of all, we had to get the pastors together and say, is this right or is this wrong? And believe me, that was a huge debate because everybody says, well, to provide for the culture, provide for the families, we got to do what's wrong. Um, but um, ultimately, by God's grace and the influence of his spirit among people, our church was able to lead the way. And the elders on our session, they came to a decision. Now, they didn't quit the company, but here's what they said. If, if pornography comes through the production line, we will step off the line. And if they fire us, they fire us. But we are at least going to make our statement. We are going to make our influence apparent, our values apparent. And we will not put our hand to the production of what is pornographic. And the consequence was, over the course of time, other churches... Other elder boards came to the same decision. It did not change what the company produced. I will tell you over time, um, the, the, once the internet got established, printing pornography was no longer profitable um, for all the wrong reasons. But at the same time, by that moment, our church and its people and its families were no longer involved in that business. So over the yes. course of time, um, things changed because people made the stand for their faith in the workplace that they needed to. Now, we make stands in different ways, sometimes just treating people fairly. Sometimes it's not joining the gossip. Sometimes not joining the ridicule. Sometimes it's providing a, a valid health plan for employees. There are different ways in which we demonstrate the character and character of our Savior, whether we are employees or employers. And so uh, that always is requiring us as believers to say, your earlier point, can we stamp Jesus' name on this? Um, could Jesus listen into this conversation? Would Jesus approve this health plan? Would Jesus approve the way I'm talking to this other person, either as an employer or employee? And, and all that is really, again, saying, am I expressing the character and care of my Savior in the way that I am performing my work? As Christians, we're a people that seek to forgive. What advice would you have for someone that's in an unhealthy relationship at work where they're able to forgive a person, but they feel that they need to have boundaries and not be around someone that's causing them issues? I don't think I could say it much better than you just did. <laughs> you know, I, I think, um, you know, one of the interesting things I think that we struggle with in our, in our Christian terminology is we know we're supposed to forgive people. And we, we then confuse that with meaning and then letting them do whatever they choose to do, right? Or there's no consequences to what, well, I said I'd forgive you, so there can be no consequences. So, you know, I have an employee who's stealing. Well, I forgive you. Well, he steals again. Well, I forgive you. Well, you know, the Bible requires that I forgive you. Therefore, I can't do anything about, you know, your misbehavior. Well, no, that's not accurate. There's a distinction between forgiveness and pardon, Right. So when I forgive somebody, I am, it's actually the, the Greek word, I'm for grace in the life of that person, right? I'm wanting the best for them. I'm wanting spiritual good for that person. 
but it's not actually spiritually good for that person that there'd be no consequences to their wrongdoing. It's not only not good for that person, it's not good for the company, it's not good for the community. So it, it's, it, you know, to do the extreme examples, you know, the, the mom who says to the murderer of her child, I forgive you, may still insist that the man go to prison and be perfectly consistent with our Christian understanding. I'm for grace in your life. I want you to know that I do not hold this against you eternally. I, I want you to be humbled by my desire for God's mercy for you. But that does not mean that there should be no consequences for your actions. That would actually not be for grace for you, for there to be no consequences for your actions, nor for this community, for murderers just to run free. So um, we, we recognize when we're dealing with other people that as a boss, as somebody who just maybe works beside somebody else, I'm always obligated to forgive someone. Vengeance is not mine. Malice toward others is not mine. I do not desire their spiritual harm. I'm never allowed that as a believer. But justice may require that we get some distance from a person who's doing wrong. Um, safekeeping may require we get distance from somebody who's doing wrong. Justice may require that I report that person and their wrongdoing to the boss. It may require that the boss himself be reported to the authorities for wrong conduct toward employees. Um, but these are not inconsistent with our understanding of the grace of God or the forgiveness we give people. We are always for grace, for their spiritual good. No malice, not vengeance, but consequence that achieve God's purpose in the life of that person. I actually desire and have the biblical right to insist upon. Yeah, yeah, really helpful. There's often pressure for people to work lots of hours, which can impact practically how much time someone can spend on church activities or even their own personal communion with the Lord. What would you say to someone who is struggling with their work-life balance, Brian? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the question I struggle with the most. And I think I, I confess that, David, in the book. I mean, balance is so hard. Um, I will tell you what I perceive often among uh, people younger in their careers is that they perceive their family as in competition to their job, that I will be so much more successful in my job, whether in time or dedication or uh, focus, if I sacrifice my family. And there, it's so important that we go back to the concept of Christian vocation, right? What is my calling as a child of God, as somebody God has given responsibilities and gifts? And you say, well, it is true that I have a vocation, a calling to express my gifts in my job. But if I have a family, if I have a church, I, I just as clearly have a calling to take care of my family, of my worship. And so my, my job is not to sacrifice one for the other, but to honor God in all. So if I'm honoring God in my family before my neighbors and with my family, then to spend so much time on my job that my family is damaged, then that is not actually honoring God. I'm not fulfilling my vocation. So as a matter of fact, I'm damaging my witness and my worship if I'm damaging my family. Now, are there different stages of career and different stages of life that, you know, maybe I'm just now starting this company. I may need to spend a lot of time and focus on this company for a while. 
I may be starting a job where where things are required. But if if this is just going to be continuous abandoning or damaging of my family, I can assure you that job is not your calling. And and I, and I have to say that because there are varieties of jobs that we might do. But clearly, there's only one family that we have been called to take care of. You know, I can't go from this family to another. So it's there's no question that I am called not to damage this family. I may be called to another job. Um, in that regard, uh, as I say, having an understanding that my occupation is only a part of my vocation. My occupation is only a part of my vocation. My family is also part of my vocation. My, my worship, my support of my church, my witness in the world is also part of my vocation. So I have, I have uh, church and family and job. Um, only one is my occupation, but they are all my vocation. And seeing thing that, things that way keeps me from understanding that I can damage one to fulfill the other. It's true. I might damage my family and have a better occupation but I cannot damage my family and fulfill my vocation. Yeah, yeah. With success, we know that pride can follow. How can people avoid falling into that particular sin? Um, I, I think we recognize that whatever success we have is a consequence of the gifts and timing of God. Um. I've known some of the wealthiest people in the world. They are not always the smartest people in the world. <laughs> and you think, well, how could that be? If they have so much money, they must be smarter than everybody else. Well, no. Now, typically, they, they are well-thinking people, but somehow God gifted them to make money. I mean, they just, they just had that gift. But they didn't just have the gift. God put them in the right place at the right time with the right people in the right circumstances. And had God not done that, they would not have had the success, no matter how smart they were, no matter how gifted they were at making money. If they had not been with the right people, with the right opportunities that God provided, they would not. As Christians, I think it's the humility of saying that that keeps us from having success just lead to pride. Well, I'm so successful because I did everything right. I don't care how successful you are. There are circumstances that are greater than you. I mean, the world economy can fall. Uh, the stock market can, can fall off. You may, make, you, you may have done great for 20 years, and then suddenly uh, the technology investments that you made tank, and, and no one could have foreseen it coming. Unless God, unless God is in the building, the laborers labor in vain. And so... Our humility before God to say, thank you, God. If I have had some success, it's where you placed me and the gifts you gave me, not just I'm smarter and better than other people. I don't care. I don't care whatever you've accomplished in life. You will discern that there are people who are far better who have done worse. And you will discover people who are worse who have done better. Yeah. And, and, and that realization should make us humble before God. Now, all of us are sinners, and sometimes our success will go to our heads, and, and we'll just be sure that, you know, we did better than everybody else, and that's the cause for our success. 
But if that is the case, typically God will give us a reminder that, yeah. that, that he alone is God and not us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How can someone get the balance between having patience and waiting upon the Lord and rolling up your sleeves and getting things done? <laughs> well, that's a great question. You know, I, I think um, we have to say <laughs> um, um, pray and paddle. Uh, are, are the, uh, the the nomenclature in my family. So we were um, we were on a river one time in a canoe with uh, young kids. And suddenly we recognized the canoe in front of us had gone over a waterfall. And uh, we didn't know how, because we were behind them on the river, we did not how, know how far down the waterfall was. And so um, my instruction to my wife and my children in the canoe was, paddle paddle and my wife was saying pray pray and so i said paddle and pray <laughs> you know you you have to work at this as well yeah, as yeah. pray for god to do his work right yeah, so yeah. um when when we roll up our sleeves we are recognizing god has called us not just to sit back and let you know well god will fix whatever it is so i don't have to work it no we roll up our sleeves we, we apply our energies and efforts, but at the same time, we pray that God would fulfill his purposes in our life. And uh, so um, the, old, the old, old line was, uh, if, if God is calling us to fulfill his purposes, he can almost always steer a car in motion better than a car that's standing still. Yeah. So w- what do we understand? If God is calling us to serve him, we roll up our sleeves and we work hard, right? But it doesn't mean that what God intends will happen right away, right? So we have to be patient. Now, it doesn't mean we just stop working. No, God still steers a car in motion better than the car that's standing still. So we have patience for God to fulfill his purposes in our lives, in our work, but still we work. We still roll up our sleeves. Because we know as we are doing what God intends for us to do, um, then God will open the right doors. God will steer us in the direction we should be going. We don't just fold our hands and go to sleep and say, God, you go fix it, right? We apply ourselves as best we're able to what God calls us to do this day and then trust that God will open the doors, steer down the right paths, in his providential timing in the way that becomes best. But we don't just fold our hands and go to sleep, say, well, you know, God needs to fix it. You know, I don't have to try to get a job. I don't have to try to pay the rent. God will just, well, God may be actually teaching you, you need to get a job and pay the rent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he can, How should he, we, so he can do far more down the road with what he's calling us to do. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Brian. How should we pray for our work and our careers? Well, um, we pray that we would honor God, whether he calls us to success or distress, that whatever he gives us to do, just as the scriptures say, that we would do it with our whole heart in a way that honors him. And that may be, you know, I was just uh, in my devotions this morning reading some of the accounts of the Apostle Paul. And I think it's so interesting that just after the the time that he was having such great spiritual success, 
that even cloths that touched his body were able to heal people. And then immediately after that, he's arrested and he's beaten. And you're kind of thinking, well, Lord, you helped me out back there. Where did your power go now? Um, well, the Lord was still working. And the Lord was still providing in the example, even in the sacrifice of the Apostle Paul, a testimony that would make his witness even more powerful and effective. That when Jewish brothers and even Romans saw him willing to suffer for his faith, that they thought his faith was more credible. So how do we pray for our jobs? We, we pray that God would enable us to do them well. And we pray that as God would enable us to do the job well, that he would also teach those around us who he is by our character and care reflecting him. So we, we do pray that God would enable us to succeed in God's purposes, not necessarily just to succeed in my purposes, that God would enable us to succeed in his purposes and give us the ability as well as the desire to fulfill his purposes. Because if, if our desire uh, excuse me, if God's desire may lead to our suffering, we think, well, I don't want that. But if, if what I desire above all things is God's glory, then what brings him glory is what I am most fulfilled by. So we pray that God would give us the fulfillment of doing his purpose in our lives. Yeah. This has been such a fascinating conversation, Brian. Really appreciate your time. Before we let you go, do you have any closing thoughts? Well, for me, David, the, the key revelation of, of this time for, for my own work has been to understand that we get, we get our label before we get our labor, right? So we were called those made in the image of God before we were given tasks to do. So in the garden, right? So man and woman were made in God's image before he gave them the work to do. I think that's so important that we're valued before we do anything, that, that we have our label as God's image bearers before we actually are called to work. And then the work itself uh, that we're given to do uh, occurs before the fall, which means the work is not evil, it's not bad. So I'm given value before I give work, do work, and then I'm given work to do that is not itself evil or bad. What that means is if, if I, as a child of God, made in his image, am doing honest work, then I am glorifying God. I'm filling the earth with the glory of God, my little corner of it, but I'm still filling the earth with the glory of God by doing what he calls me to do, whatever the world thinks of that. And to me, that's a blessing to recognize that I'm, I'm worshiping God by doing work. It's not something separate, right? If, if I intend that it should glorify God in, in the character and care that I express of my Savior, then my work is my worship. And that, that's very fulfilling to my heart as I want to bring worship to my Savior. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you again for your time, Brian. What's the best way for people to be able to keep in touch with you? Uh, they can go to brianchapel.com so they can go to the website where uh, we we actually teach people in about 80 nations and 1500 cities believe it or not so they can they can uh, get in touch with me there or or take advantage of some of the resources at brianchapel.com 
Excellent. Well, wherever you're listening to this, we'll make sure that the link is in the description below, as well as a link to this book. Thanks again for your time, Brian. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, David. So good to be with you. 